Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green and Peter from the Midwest. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Welcome. Here sweltering on the humid East Coast of the United States in solidarity with our West Coast brothers and our Midwestern brothers who are similarly sweaty this hot evening. Yes, it's not humid. There's no humidity, but it is definitely very hot. No, it's a, it's a swamp here in the center of the country. <laughs> just just swamp is the best description. I bet. I bet. Hey, you know what's not a swamp? Your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I have no comment on that, but uh, I'll tell you what's not a swamp is our Patreon, ladies and gentlemen. We have uh, one new patron. We also have a patron who may or may not have left and come back, but I'm going to give you a shout out anyway, partly because you have such a fantastic name and I want to say it, Uh, but welcome officially to Eric Gordon, who just joined this very week. I believe Eric is also a friend of our co-host on Perfect Organisms, uh, Christian, and sponsors his work with uh, his mythos uh, of H.P. Lovecraft project. So that's something else people might want to check out. Welcome, Eric. And also welcome back to... Shantanu Thakur, isn't that great? I remember name? you saying that Shantanu name before. Thakur. Did I already say? I already said yeah. it. I probably also Years, enjoyed well, like a year or two ago or whatever. But I remember you saying it. <laughs> well, he's he's back, Shantanu. Thank you for bringing your fantastic name back to the show, and thank you, Eric. If you want to join them, just head over to bladerunnerpodcast.com/support or perfectorganism.com/support, and you can join them there. But tonight we're doing kind of a crossover episode, which is one of the first, if not the first, times we've done this. I think ever, Jamie. You want no, to kind of run? We, we do this before. Done, I feel yeah, like we talked we did about it, it during 2020 when so much was going on. Oh yeah, that's and right. We had uh, like a few shows that crossed over with both of our shows. I can't. Yeah, we had like dystopia. We, dystopia. Yeah. If you look back at our shows from early 2020, it's just us like <laughs> <laughs> bearing our souls about how afraid we are. But uh, yeah, that but was can, a you, tough can you give year, us like? Man. That was a tough year. Give us like a little bit of a, so, so because a lot of people listening to this are listening to it on perfect organism and might not necessarily know that we do have another podcast called shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, which is a, where this is originally airing. So for our perfect organism friends, uh, wh- where does this kind of sit within our current lineups? So to that end, uh, this is part two of our artificial intelligence series. And for those of you just joining in from, Perfect Organism. This is a series that's going to kind of lead up and into a 40-year anniversary celebration of the original Blade Runner film, which came out in 1982. I almost said 1882, the year I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And tonight we are discussing uh, the worlds of Blade Runner and Alien, but more specifically getting into why those worlds would need to create create AI um, and what would lead up to that. And then talking about a couple of those characters like Roy Batty and David. And we'll eventually get to Ash and Bishop and other iterations of AI, but we really wanted a place to kind of jump from. And this seemed like it was a really good 
place. And again, it's a crossover episode because we're going to really go in depth as to the world of Alien. We actually have never talked about that. What kind of Earth or whatever is going on? Um, and it's going to be a, a kind of a compare and contrast. And conversely, with Replicants, we've had... We did an episode on replicants, actually, I think like a three-part series on replicants, kind of getting into them, but we never really discovered what they were or how they're made. So we don't really know. I mean, I suppose they fall under the category of artificial intelligence. They're not human, even though they look human. They are biological, but we don't know what other components are there. Uh, There could be robotic components. We don't know. There's a lot. There's a shroud of mystery over them. Whereas with the alien universe, it's a little bit more straightforward. But at the same time, except for that commercial with David, um, which I think was great. And then there was a commercial with Walter towards uh, when Covenant was coming out. We know a little bit more about how they're made. They're very kind of rudimentary, even though they're these beautiful products made with love and care, at least that's what the commercial makes it look like. Both David and Walter, but are in sharp contrast to someone like Roy Batty. So this is where we're going to start. Peter, I want you to introduce yourself for our uh, PO listeners who might only know you from, uh, you've done frame rates with us before, so they might know you from that. But just for their sake, I want you to kind of just give them a, you know, a little rundown of who you are. But before you do, Jamie, trivia question for you. Do you remember from the commercial what David 8 is powered by? Semen, I don't know. <laughs> it's white. <laughs> Definitely looks like it. Uh, Verizon Fios. I always thought that was um, really a little bit lame. I would have yeah. never remembered that, you nerd. <laughs> Those commercials are so cool, though, aren't they? Peter, so, so awesome. Give us a little bit of an insight into into who you are for those uh, who aren't coming from Shoulder, Brian. Yeah, I uh, I'm a longtime listener. I think I first discovered uh, Patrick and Jamie through Shoulder of Orion. I'm looking for Blade Runner content uh, via podcast when I was out driving what I used to always call my my spinner out around the uh, rural Midwest. And eventually, I think then LinkedIn to, or you may have mentioned something about Perfect Organism, went in there and actually discovered, I think I came in just as Patrick had been introduced, possibly as a guest. It was during the Covenant uh, dark years, let's call them, when everyone (laughs) wanted to just debate and fight over. And I remember Patrick coming in as a stock starch uh, um, staunch is the word, sorry, that I was looking for uh, defender of covenant and having enjoyed it, but not loved it. It was really fun to hear Patrick um, speak. And then later, I think you came in for perfect organism. Anyways, I came into the perfect organism universe and family, I think in the covenant days, and it was really fun, sort of the lively, disputes debates and bringing everyone back in and so that's where i come in really quick background um alien of course one of my all-time favorites it's similar what i often describe on shoulder of orion as to the blade runner show uh, movies in that if i'm going to sit down to watch alien i have to make sure i have that time blocked off no one can interrupt me if I'm in it, I'm in it. I'm, I'm feeling the breeze. I'm feeling the, the air in the corridors, and I want to be in it. Where, to me, Aliens is one of the all-time greatest feel-good movies to me. And I, I can put that on if it's on on a Sunday. You know, when I was younger, um, I'd sit down, and it's one of those where you just get glued to the screen. It can be on on the background, no matter what. Um, but at the 
same time, when you want to take it seriously, when you want to get into it, it's just as great, but it's, to me, it's, it's up there, you know, it's one of the greats. And then, yeah. And then alien three, I'm a big fan. I know there's a lot of debates. Perfect organism has done a great job of going through that movie and making it even more interesting each time. I am a closet resurrection fan, similar to, I think Jamie, yeah. isn't it your story that, I mean, that was one of the first ones I think I actually saw in the theater. So to me, it just holds a place as I'm in a movie theater. I'm watching an alien movie. I really don't care what's going on other than it's on the movie theater. Yeah. Um, Jamie saw it a fun history times. Um, of loving Winona Ryder. So it was great to see her in there. Seven times. Yeah. Uh, seven times. You saw it seven, 700 times. Oh, it's because it was free. I saw it free seven times. So, so yeah. So, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I think in your most recent episode in, in Perfect Organism, you guys were revisiting Prometheus. I think I fall into the Jamie camp of I can watch it all the time as long as the sound is off. I cannot stand the dialogue. The characters are just wacky. I mean, I think that sh- it was a shit show or even a frame rate where we talked about um, AVP, the first one. And I will stand by my position that AVP has a better, um, at least, storyline, despite it being so bad, than actually Prometheus does. Because at least in that movie, one of the people says, hey, we're not ready for this mission. But yet that never comes up in Prometheus. I love Covenant for a lot of the reasons um, both Patrick and Jamie have indicated. I love the return. And one of my favorite scenes that Jamie pointed out a long time ago that sticks in my head is, you know, the removal of the gloves. And, and things like that, where it came back to at least a, a real world portrayal. And I think with that, so that's my background to the alien universe. I love perfect organism. It's really fun that this is a crossover. I think it makes us allow us to be a little looser. Perfect organism kind of comes off as the, uh, it's a little wackier. It's a little more fun, a little more outspoken. Shoulder of Orion, we try and keep it a little more um, guarded simply because of the subject matter, I think. But alien, it lets us be a little wackier. So hopefully we'll... We'll get there a little more tonight, but I think that also leads in nicely then to the AI. Um, and so what do you guys, you know, what's, what's your thought on how AI was now introduced to the alien universe through its now timeline first go at it, which was, I believe then David. Yeah. I think that's a great way to kind of get started. I actually have the Wayland yutani report here by uh, SD Perry, where, which you know, I, I just referenced actually on a recent PO episode as well, uh, but it's an in-universe book that is all of these like classified dossiers about the universe and giving you know uh, history into various things. And there's uh, a, a little passage on artificial persons that I think might be a good way to kind of frame at least the alien part of it. So I want to read that quick. It's just a paragraph. <clears throat> artificial persons. In 2025, Sir Peter Whelan's lifelong interest in cybernetics led to the introduction of David the first artificial person, or AP. Combining the most advanced sensory hardware, hydraulic biomechanical methods and apparatus, polynylon tissue components, and recognition slash information amalgamation software, David was a marvel of focus and innovation. Initial iterations were clearly artificial, but subsequent Davids continued to raise the bar for human likeness, incorporating emotive capability, artificial cell regeneration, and nearly exponential increases in processing speed. In 2062, an independent study showed that sixth-generation Davids were widely recognized as artificial by 7%, oh, sorry, were only recognized as artificial by 7% of study participants. 
in 2091, David 8 accompanied Sir Peter on his final journey to LV4, LV223. So I, I think there we get a good glimpse into how Alien treats artificial intelligence, which is that it's clearly technology for one thing. And that, Jamie, you were mentioning that in the early you know, intro as well. In Alien, AI is like clearly a workhorse that has enabled people to get off world, to terraform, to haul things, to start wars. Uh, it's and it's not only that, but it's commodified. There we have multiple manufacturers. Whether we have Seeks in, or we have Hyperdyne Systems, or we have Weyland Yutani itself, uh, you know, we have this very overt capitalistic, you know, race to the stars thing going on. And artificial intelligence is what's powering that. Um, it's also worth noting, and you see this. There's, uh, you know, there's like a, for example, a Predator video game that talks about this, and there's there's other things also that early iterations of artificial intelligence in the alien or shared alien and predator universes, if we want to share them, uh, really didn't resemble people. Like they were bipedal, but other than that, they were basically like powered exoskeletal suits that people could, could ride around in. And as a way of making people feel comfortable with it, they started to make it look more, you know, specifically humanoid. And in doing so, actually, this is something that comes up quite a bit in expanded universe content. They had to make the the robots, you know, the artificial people, uh, less efficient because humans aren't particularly efficiently built, right? Like we're kind of lopsided, we're asymmetrical. We have to we have skeletons that won't hold themselves up. They they rely on musculature to be stabilized. So like they did all of these manufacturing processes to make people more comfortable because they could recognize synthetics as crew members. When in reality, those crew members were actually more poorly equipped by having to be more like us. And I think that, to me, sets up this whole overarching thing in Alien that David really exemplifies perfectly, which is that we seek to make these things as much like us as we possibly can, not to make them even perform better, but to make us feel better about it, to make us feel more comfortable in their presence, which is very weird. But then when they become too much like us, like we see with David in Covenant, especially, or and also in Prometheus, when they start having emotional irregularities, when they start having things that read as mood disorders, we decide that's enough. And we have to, you know, immediately put a gate around their behavior. Uh, and I think, so I, I think an, a cool way to look at this in terms of Alien is similar to Blade Runner in a lot of ways, like why do we seek to make artificial intelligence something not only tactile, but something specifically humanoid in the first place? I think part of that question, as we as it relates to Alien right now and the universe of Alien, but I think it will certainly cross over into the universe of Blade Runner, is we are, we are becoming gods ourselves. We want to create. We want to um, build something in our image. I think humans do that inherently. We always are, whether it's even our own children that we have that are biological, um, we're always building things in our image, whether it's how we put our house together, what we put in the room, um, what we surround ourselves with. Um, so I think part of where AI, where AI journeys into looking like us is because for number one, it, it does, it does seem to make us more comfortable, but at the same time, and this is like, if we just pull way back and we look at what's going on right now, um, Boston Dynamics, and those movements are very human-like, if they get more human and more human and more human, I will be uncomfortable with that. I would rather them look that way 
then look like David. You don't know what's going on behind his eyes. Not to say that you go, you, you know what's going on behind the eyes, quote unquote, of Boston Dynamics robots and droids or whatever. Um, but they look more perfunctory. They have a more, oh, okay. That's, they're, they're, you know, you can look at them and go, oh, that's really cool. Whereas with, if you look at David, you're just kind of like, why are you here? What do you want? And that's scary to me. But if we keep traversing sci-fi, what do we see over and over and over? Humans, usually men, making bots, making droids in their own image. Um, and it, it just almost doesn't even matter what what whether it's Westworld, whether it's Ex Machina, whether it's, uh, I mean, a, a myriad of different films, they're all doing the same thing. And it's mostly men. And I wonder if, because you talked about Peter Wayland, if there's this thing with men where because we cannot physically procreate, if making droids in our image is men procreating the best way they can. Yeah, I, I like that, that theory, um, <clears throat> which goes a lot to, I think, the way I contrast, and this might not make any sense in anyone else's head other than mine, but in the alien universe, it's odd because I see the synthetics um, as a as sort of Patrick initially was talking about as a more a much more utilitarian creation. Um, in the alien universe, it appears that primarily they're at least um, in the illiterate. Alliterations in the original films, um, both Ash and Bishop, it appears that um, there's an uh, almost an insidious intent um, to have a synthetic that can mold in with the crew and essentially be a un. Um, you can't shake them. They're they're basically a, a double agent or a secret agent, whichever level you're trying to get to. Um, plant or mole from the company and it's a, a programmable mole they're not going to double cross the company they are there um, to blend in and make sure that the company's plans are um, performed i think originally also they were likely in the alien universe and from some of the expanded it was a lot more simply they can survive the environments they can help the terror the initial terraforming um a lot more utilitarian Yet somehow, to me, at least with the initial David model, it's interesting because sort of it seems less corporate and more personal when it comes to Waylon himself and David. Um, for that story, at least for the prequels, it seems a lot more one man's desire to find a way um, to reach or obtain answers and, of course, obtain more life. I love the a minute when already it seems like Waylon wants to turn David off when it, right away he indicates, you know, I one day you will die, I will not. And that just freaking puts Waylon right on his ass, it seems, and he's just like, get me my tea, and goes right back for, instead of the uh, sort of equal footing or a more uh, – parent-child relationship, which uh, appears in that scene all of a sudden, the second Waylon realizes that he just created something most likely better than himself um, that puts him off. So for some reason, at least in the alien universe, 
while it seems more utilitarian and product-like, I relate the synthetics to the people um, who created them. And then that makes sense also with Ash and then um, Bishop as well. I, I, I attribute them much more to the corporation itself. Or then to contrast with Blade Runner, I mean, I don't see... Um, you know, Batty as a as a direct personal connection to his creator. I don't see K as a personal representation of Neander. Um, in the Blade Runner universe, I see them again a little more utilitarian. But uh, I don't know. It seems like they're made more for personal reasons of society, and yet their connection to the universe, to me, doesn't seem. It comes from a, a singular source. Where to me, at least in the prequels, um, ending at, at least my section here is essentially, you know, the David model seems much more a creation of Wayland himself and therefore taking on um, the traits and any preconceived notions, any biases. Um, it seems that every flaw in David probably comes directly from Wayland himself and not from a general manufacturing, quote unquote, flaw that I see more as a replicant problem. So again, I, I think in the alien universe, again, utilitarian, but for whatever reason, I tie them more to their direct creator. And I don't know why. Well, I think that, and also specifically that scene in covenant speaks to what Jamie was saying, which I think is really great. And I want to circle back to, which is that there's something about the creation of these things that are on the face of themselves robots that speaks to mankind's maybe literally mankind's inability to accept not only our our inability to birth children but our inability to live forever and that's something that to me is very much written over you know obviously Wayland's struggles um but i think that's also very much the undercurrent especially with neander wallace and blade runner i think a lot of that is how do i supersede or how do I how do I uh, go beyond the realm of like the mortal, like my limitations as a human being, and into the super mortal or into the realm of being a deity? Um, and replicants serve that purpose in a way that nothing else really does. Because we're talking, you know, Blade Runner, of course, isn't really in the future anymore. Twenty forty nine still is, but the the world of Blade Runner is kind of con contemporaneous with us. Whereas the the events in the Alien films take place quite far in the future, starting, you know, almost a hundred years from now and then going all the way through, you know, 300 years after that, if we're talking about the films. Um, and so that's like the, the world in which alien operates, the artificial intelligence there is, is like, it's in the, in the company of other technologies that feel more fantastical to us. Like they have everything that they could desire. They have infinite resources. They've colonized the stars. I don't get the sense that humanity has broken down in the way that it has in the world of Blade Runner. There's been huge conflicts. We have the UPP and we have all of these other things in the expanded universe and all these, you know, offshoots and colony wars happening. Uh, but by and large, like the galaxy that alien operates in is one populated by people who were like doing okay, you know, somewhat. Um, and so in that context, we have these men who feel, I think, kind of limited. Like there's this one thing they can never break through to, whether that's the ability to have children themselves personally or the ability to just make themselves go on forever. I'm not really sure, but I think we should talk about it. 
the act of having children, of course, speaks to that for, for, you know, humans in general. I think there's a sense of like, oh, you know, my, my, you know, body partially lives on in these beings that I've helped create. So it's like, you know, when I die, there's a part of me that's still there. Um, I don't think that's something that many of us are really thinking about when we have kids, but it, but it is something that, you know, it does cross my mind sometimes. Um, but like, we're talking about men in a society where they have everything that they could possibly want. And like the one thing they can't get their hands on is that it's like illimitable life. So artificial intelligence and alien really seeks to like address that for, for them. It also, of course, drives all of the ships. Like we have mother, we have father in alien resurrection. We have all of these mainframe systems that are run on, you know, AI that interacts with the voice. Um, so there's that kind of disembodied artificial intelligence, but the artificial, the stuff that we're really talking about tonight, like the androids, to me, like part of why they look like us maybe isn't even just to make us more comfortable, but maybe it's to create the illusion that they've created people who won't get old, who won't get sick, um, who won't sleep or eat or defecate only, you know, other than to just serve the purposes of making other people feel comfortable. Like they'll eat food and then just like, you know, clean it out later. Um, there's one Android in the alien universe that is in the expanded universe that I think is really interesting and doesn't get talked about very much. And his name is Davis or Davis one. Uh, and if, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, this is completely fine. I'll kind of give the rundown for listeners, but he was introduced in the Brian Wood comics, um, like defiance as, uh, an AI that forms a bond with Zula Hendricks and later on Amanda Ripley. And he is a like a, a company security droid who is very much an anonymous. He looks just like a working Joe. You know, he has just this blank white face. Um, and he's just there as sort of an enforcer. But um, along the way, develops a personality. And then when his artificial body is destroyed, he's able to like be uploaded to a ship's computer and then into a weapon system. And then his artificial consciousness lives on. And goes on a wild journey through a lot of different things. And he actually just showed up in a Colony War, the new novel that just came out a couple of months ago, uh, and has a lot of really interesting things to say about artificial intelligence and alien there as well. The reason I'm bringing him up is I think he and David, again, I was talking about Davis and, and David, I think they both illustrate this really interesting thing at the heart of aliens' treatment of artificial intelligence, which is there comes a point where the AI wants to live itself, right? Where Geppetto has created Pinocchio and Pinocchio wants to be a real boy. And humanity and the creators very much try to tamp that down uh, in a really violent way. In Alien, it's the creators of those things that are trying to tamp down in a violent way. In Blade Runner, it's the society and, you know, and it's, the, it's like the enabling environment trying to tamp down on that. And both of them uh, hit a point where there's like a point of no return, right? So in 2049, we have the, you know, the, the world is built on a wall speech that Joshi gives. And we find out that, you know, replicants were able to create more replicants. And it's this, you know, paradigm breaking revelation. But even in Alien Resurrection, which is coming up surprisingly a lot tonight, we have something similar, right? We have autons. We have androids creating androids. It's different because they're not, pro I mean, I'm assuming they're not procreating to create them. But there's this like, this idea that like 
androids reach a point or replicants reach a point where society says, oh, oh, that's that's the limit. You can't create more of yourselves without us doing it for you. And that's a very long way of getting back to Jamie's point, which I think is at the heart of this, which is as long as we're the ones creating and as long as we're the ones making those decisions, we're totally cool with as many artificial people as we can make. But the second those artificial people decide to make things in their image, the second those artificial people decide they want to live forever, it's no longer acceptable. And in the character of Roy Batty, of course, we have, I I think part of why he's so enduringly incredible is we have a character who really pushes against that in a vociferous and violent way. We have this guy who, and he's not doing it the way that the 2049 replicants are doing it, where they want to like shift paradigms. Batty just wants to live longer. He's like, this is just fucking unfair. I have fought my way back from Mars for this moment. You have to tell me how can I live, how I want more life, fucker slash father, right? Um, and then in, in David, we have a character who has this complete disregard for life that is wrapped up in this deep passion for creating it, right? We have like this whole creation gone completely haywire. So we have uh, two characters that I think sum up kind of similar sides of a very complex coin. And uh, I think you're right, Jamie. I think part of it comes back to this idea of like, I get to decide how I live forever and you don't. As you were talking, what I also keep thinking about is the beginnings of AI and the beginnings of things like David. Um, Even, or if you look at the AI in the alien universe and you look at the AI slash replicants in the Blade Runner universe, they're both created for the similar reason to get stuff done, to do things that we don't want to do. Uh, Neander famously says we lost our stomach for slaves, so they needed to build a workforce. And I think in the, the alien universe, it's, it's a similar thing, but I, again, I'm kind of rewinding back to where we are right now because I don't know where, AI is headed in the real world, it could eventually be people walking down the street that look like us. It could be. Right now we have drone delivery deliveries, whether it's from the air or you've seen, and I've seen them uh, traveling down the street, giving a delivery, and they have their own GPS and everything. And if you mess with it, you're going to get arrested and you're going to go to jail or something. On your, It's going to be seen as theft. But then if I even pull it back further, if we go into grocery stores and we don't want to wait in line, what do we do? We go to the self-checkout. And you hear a very pleasant woman, female voice saying, next item, or are there? Are you choosing any bags? So it's a rudimentary version of what David is. It's perfunctory. It's helping us make our lives a little bit easier. And I think that's where these things start. But then there's a line that gets crossed somewhere where it's, Wait a minute, what are we doing? Um, I, I think that there's a moral and an ethical part of this discussion, but at the same time, and we're going to eventually talk about joy, but the moral and ethical component to this is somewhat dubious because do we feel morally obligated to the things we create? And I'm talking about the technological things that we create. Are we morally obligated to them? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, are we morally obligated as people when we're actually interacting with that technology with other people? Absolutely we are. At the same time, much like David, 
who is probably based in algorithms and his his thought and his processes are all control and coding and a lot of work. Um, and today, and Patrick, you talked about this quite a bit in our past episode or our, the first episode in terms of social media and algorithms and what it's doing and how it's affecting us as people. Um, and those algorithms don't have a moral center. They have a center of commodity, commerce. How do we turn this information into commerce? And David is commerce iterated. He becomes our algorithm. I think conversely, Joy is too, in some ways. She's a, not living, breathing, but she is a, a, a projection of everything we want to see everything we want to hear but if you go back into the world of alien these these beings like i don't really know why they thought well no i do like for instance if we go to bishop you can put a droid in harm's way and not feel too bad if it gets destroyed because it's a droid right it's just parts and labor and uh mechanics and you know hard drives and that kind of a thing with a some type of silicone skin over the top of it. Are we morally obligated to, to rescue Bishop? Probably not. Um, but things change when we start feeling morally obligated to Bishop. When we feel like, or, or David, when we feel like we have to tell David, oh, you did a good job. Why are we telling David he could, did a good job? He doesn't need to hear that. Maybe he's programmed to want to hear it, but he doesn't need to hear it. I'm sorry if I scared you. That platform was just becoming too unstable. I had to circle and hope that things didn't get too rough to take you off. Bishop, you did okay. I did. Oh yeah. As we journey into the minutia of this discussion, I really think the moral question is really, really big. Then the question presents, why are we making these things? Why are we making these things? If humans can't do it now, in some ways, I can understand if you're in space and you're in a ship, which might be a very real thing 50 years from now when maybe this planet is just not habitable anymore. I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case, but it doesn't look very good. But say you're in a ship and the ship needs to be worked on. Would it be easier to send a droid out there to do the work or us? Certainly a droid. So developing something like that seems beneficial it seems of course right but then again this crosses over back into blade runner what about developing a robot that's purely for sexual pleasure what's the moral obligation there is there one is it okay is it okay to build like ex machina build a a, a droid that looks like a woman it's very beautiful and have sex with it as much as you want to and not give one shit i don't really know um but at the same time you know, you go back into Alien and you have these, uh, I'll take Ash specifically, Ash is this double agent on this ship. He is the company iterated. Um, and I think, um, as I think, as I think about the world of Alien, what I think the world is, it might not be like the world of Blade Runner in terms of um, economic collapse or the collapse of, you know, systems around the world, but the world of Alien feels very corporatized. Corporations run the universe. They run the galaxy or whatever. And I feel like if we were to see a, a picture of Earth or 
someplace in Earth, it would all be corporations coming in. Corporations now rule cities. Corporations make the rules. And so what corporations are then doing are making agents for themselves to help them get shit done. Again, I think all of these questions are kind of swirling right now as we discuss this further. I, I think a lot of what um, you're you're drawing on also is from your first episode too. You, you talked a lot, of, at least in that episode, about empathy. And I think part of, you know, how you've put it, getting shit done means creating either beings that we can not have empathy for and not have to sort of endure the problematic scenarios you become in when you're asking someone to do something you want, don't want to do. And then you feel empathy for them. And you're like, well, I can't really ask them to do that. Well, creating synthetics in the alien universe and also replicants allows you to be able to do that and ask them to do those jobs. You would find either morally uh, repugnant or ambiguous, and you can just sleep at night because you can say, Oh, I'll ask my replicant to go do that. I'll ask um, David to go do that for me. So there's, there's a big portion of that. And one thing that drives me a lot, um, again, going to the creation part of that though, is you looked at today and, you know, there was the movie, it was George Clooney. I think it was called up in the air or something. And the big thing about that was, Oh, they're going to fire people basically now over zoom. And obviously after the pandemic, that doesn't seem that disheartening or cruel as it may have in that movie, you know, in that, in that movie, George Clooney liked to go, or he was the person you'd send personally to the company and go fire everyone. And Hey, it was going to be better because you have this person. And then it changed to, Oh, we're going to have a bunch of people on the computer. And now to us, that's like, well, if I got fired over zoom, that'd probably be maybe the way a lot of people would get fired now because you don't go into the office. But now I think what's seeping in is, you know, there's various programs now that they're developing regarding AI performing job interviews. And I think that's a little more in the alien universe as far as a corporation creating an AI with certain parameters that it's to follow, where if they give this answer, um, this is what you're going to do. And what that causes, at least when I heard about that, and I've learned deeper through either CLEs or other just kind of legal ramifications of having these AIs and what that could mean liability-wise regarding, you know, um, uh, you know, discriminatory practices and whatnot, it's, it's really interesting that now you could have a, a, a bot or an AI performing a job interview, and while it's meant to specifically remove the ability of the interviewer to have a bias or otherwise, you know, basically give any sort of information that could then be, or ask any questions that could be determined to be discriminatory based on sex, religion, um, you know, do you plan on being pregnant? Just whatever types of things that HR knows it can't ask, but now you can have an AI that for sure won't ask that question. But you still have whoever's programming it, putting their bias in where if they answer a question a certain way, you're like, oh, well, this person could be Hispanic. And, you know, we have a certain quota or we don't want to hire people of a certain race. And you can put that now into your programming. And how's anyone going to find that unless you open the code and determine, well, in that code, there's a discriminatory ones and zeros. But otherwise, you can just sit back and say, hey, it's not us being the uh, discriminatory. It's the program. And if that happens, it's not our fault. We're just trying to be efficient. 
So I think a lot of that comes into play with what, you know, Jamie talked about of, of sort of things, how AI is creeping in and, and sort of the empathy is, is leaving. And I think that goes a lot to David, how he, he acts. Um, at least Waylon knows that he's not going to be afraid to do what needs to be done on, on the ship. Um, Ash, especially is the best example I would say of, of AI, um, knowing that, Hey, you encounter this being, you're going to do anything you can to protect that crew expendable. Um, and so, you know, I think what we're looking for in AI is one part, a something where we don't have to be empathetic either in our treatment of the AI or in the way that the AI is in treating others. I mean, the best replicants sort of jumping now back and forth between the universe, the best replicants are the ones that don't hesitate because they have no problem retiring um, one of their own kind. Um, and then, of course, the most interesting part is that uh, that pushback, that debate. So I guess I'd, I'd be looking to, you know, either throwing it back at you, Jamie, or, or Patrick on talking about how, you know, where do you see in our current life us then butting up against the AI um, and where you see those perceived problems? And are they going to be the same problems as, as represented in Alien or Blade, or Blade Runner? As you were talking about the job interviews, Peter, I was thinking, I was trying to actually picture what that would feel like. You know, I, I mean, I, we've all been in job interviews before and they're pretty scary environments, even if they're going great. It's something that, you know, it's pretty fraught, right? But they've been with humans that we know we know are human. So now you can you can see why it would be really weird to have like a disembodied AI, like a chatbot, doing a job interview, right? It would feel completely artificial. It would feel like this is just this is clearly just a way to like distance the employer from the liability issue, right? Um, and then you can see, well, I might might feel more comfortable if I was talking to a person. And then you could see people being like, well, maybe have the best of both worlds and have you talking to a person who's actually an AI. And then we could control the AI and you would feel comfortable. So I can I can already see in my own head like that little Ouroboros starting to form of like, oh, I see why like it would be kind of off-putting. So maybe make me more comfortable, but in making me more comfortable, it's harder to tell what I'm actually talking to. And if it's harder to tell what I'm actually talking to, like maybe what I'm talking to should be clear about what it is. But if it's clear about what it is, then I'm aware that I'm talking to a robot that looks like me. And just picture how strange that would be. Like, that's where my mind went, right? We know because of the David 8 commercial, for example, how strong these things are. And you see that when David and Walter are fighting, right? Like, they are superhumanly powerful creations. And they're made like that by design, just as replicants are, because they were built primarily to do labor, right? To do heavy lifting, to do terraforming to make repairs on spaceships. And then later on in the alien universe and the alien expanded universe to battle with xenomorphs and to be alien farmers and, you know, to work on space labs, like in Labyrinth, for example, and to keep the aliens in line. So they are incredibly tough and resilient and way stronger and faster than any of us could ever hope to be. So if that AI were to go rogue, were to go the way of Roy Batty or David, like we would be completely fucked. Like we would be killed. Right. And so imagine being in a job interview three feet away from someone who looks like me to you right now. Like just, it's just a person talking, sweating over here on the humid East coast of the United States uh, who had the capacity to, to decapitate you in a heartbeat. Right. Like that is a, is a weird, a weird place to be in. 
and the society that has engineered these things like has accepted that as part of it. Um, the love droid, you know, the, like you're talking about, of course, in replicants, that how there's sex slavery is an enormous thing in replicants. It's also in the alien universe. We have love models in the comic books. Um, we have a lot of similarities in the ways that replicants and, and synthetics or artificial people are used in both of these movies. And I think they speak to some pretty base level concerns that we have had since the beginning of time and that we will always have. So the need to procreate, right? Like Jamie was saying, the need to create life, the need to like fornicate also, whether it's creating life or not, just to you know have sensual pleasure, uh, the need to achieve labor to be able to get housing and food. Those are two things that are never going to go anywhere. And the need to find a suitable environment to raise our families in, right? Whereas in the past, it was the, the cave that had the most access to light and the best insulation from heat. In the middle of the night, and in the world of Alien and Blade Runner, it's the you know the 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 best terraformed planet with the you know fewest uh, incidents of outbreaks of various diseases and things. Um, so I think that I think you're absolutely right that technology will continue to address those things in the ways in which technology does. But the problem is, as Jamie was saying, technology is so wrapped up in capitalism because it has to be because technology to advance depends on economies of scale. Right, because you can't just have these leaps forward sitting in a garage somewhere. Like that's never going to go, never going to go anywhere. It takes these mega corporations. Jamie, you're talking about how Earth probably looks extremely corporatized in the world of Alien. In, in the expanded universe, it does. Like Wayland Yutani is treated as a state. Like it's it has the power of a super government basically. Other corporations do as well, and they get these enormous swaths of star systems. Like in Colony War, you have what was once the British Empire is now this new Albion thing, and it has its own, you know, terraformed planets that are all this, you know, uh, just like the same way that the British Empire sought to, you know, get dominion over all of these various states around the world. The same thing is happening with this new empire that's springing up. And this new empire that's springing up is tied to a military industrial complex that it has allowed to proliferate so that it can expand and terraform. So you have like this pattern repeating throughout the entire universe of these films. Of course, in Blade Runner, we reach this tipping point with a blackout, right? So for alien people who might not know what we're talking about, uh, after 2049 came out, or actually in the lead up to 2049, we had a series of shorts that were released that were um, you know, written and directed by people affiliated with the film or people hired by the film, uh, but with oversight by Michael Green and Hampton Fancher and the writing staff of 2049. And, uh, and one of them was this beautiful piece about this, this event called The Blackout, which was basically in response to mounting uh, atrocities and conflict between replicants and humans. And also replicants and replicants, ultimately, um, the humans cracked down on replicants across the star systems. And in, in a revolt against that, these you know re replicants banded together and took out this enormous data satellite that was like responsible for much of the information that was available to people on Earth. And so all these systems crashed and it was this enormous cataclysm. Um, and so after that, we had replicants being treated not only as like, you know, persona non grata, but being hunted, being sought out. And then we had this intervening period where Neander Wallace, played by Jared Leto in 2049, is like seeking to get approval from the Earth's government to reintroduce replicants that are controllable. 
um, as a response to what happened in the blackout. In the alien universe, you have a similar thing happen, which which is actually again an alien resurrection. You have this uprising where you know replicants fought not replicants. <laughs> I'm getting them screwed up. Synthetics, you know, fought against humans and they were outlawed, and so synthetics created synthetics, and you have the autons rising out of that. So again, a similar arc there, where the things that we create seek to supersede us and in doing so are like shut down what emerges from that in blade runner is the nexus 9 ultimately right after a little bit of iteration with the nexus 8 in the nexus 9 which is officer k is being a great example of that in blade runner 2049 is what peter was talking about a blade runner who is just incredibly good at his job he has no problem hunting his job literally is to hunt down other replicants and he has no qualms about it, and he's incredibly good at it. And he takes all of that strength and speed that we were talking about in the alien universe, which is similarly held by a lot of um, replicants in Blade Runner, and he hunts them down and he kills them, and he brings back their, you know, their basically their barcode and their eyeball to prove that the replicant has been retired, which is how they euphemize it in the Blade Runner universe, but basically being killed. Um, in the alien world, of course, we have what was once David becoming Walter, which is a much more advanced model of basically the same android. But the chief difference between Walter and David, at least on the face of it, is this behavioral inhibitor uh, patch, basically. So David, who became erratic and became too you know, human, according to his creators, in that he wanted to create and he went off a little crazy, um, you know, Wayland was like, we can't have that happening again, or Wayland's company, because he wasn't around by that point. He didn't do very well against an engineer. Um, so they sought to create these very controllable androids. Um, and that was the, what, what Walter ended up becoming. So it's interesting in both of these universes, we have our creations gradually becoming more and more advanced and more and more um, impossible to discern from us. Because it, it's, even with Nexus 8, right? Like they have, they're very hard to distinguish from people. And that was, those were the replicants that were created immediately after the blackout. Imagine like, why, why, it, why would they not have created just like, you know, quadrupedal walking robots after that, that just like, didn't look like people. They were, did all the same things that we needed replicants to do. Instead, like they come back with even more human-like replicants after the blackout, which is crazy. Um, but again, it's a similar arc where like things get to a certain point and we dial it back and we reemerge with these things that we think we can control because of the ways that we've created them. And then the things we seek to control, of course, you know, life finds a way and uh, eventually we don't control them the way we thought we did. So it's an interesting little parallelism there. To that point, I, I question, you know, powerful people, powerful men, because Typically, it is always powerful men in these roles. Powerful people like to feel powerful. You have the one-offs where you have a billionaire who's a very uh, demure and humble person. There are those out there. They're few and far between. But most powerful people want to be surrounded by things that make them feel powerful, that make them feel like I'm better than you because of what I have or because of what I do. That's just unfortunately part of the human condition. And I also think it's what fuels, it's what definitely fueled Neander Wallace. It's what fueled Tyrell. They made these things that they were better than, that they could control. Even 
when they couldn't control it, they were still in control of it in some ways. Um, and that idea to make something that enhances your God, your, your, uh, your kind of God sensibility is a little bit frightening or it's a lot of it frightening. And I think in the alien world, and this was something that I've also been thinking about as we're all talking about this, I feel like, a, the world of alien is more insidious than Blade Runner because you have these droids, David, Ash, um, and I'm even going to mention Call and you know Bishop, and we'll get into those in depth later on. But um, these things, like Ash, you know, when in Aliens you see Ripley talking, you know, all freaked out about Bishop, and then you see Burke say, you know, in her last trip out, the the artificial human malfunction and she goes malfunction because it didn't malfunction. It was operating within the parameters that was someone set, which David was too. Something was going on with David where Wayland said, experiment, find out. I want to live forever. And so David had his own ideas, which weren't really his ideas. They, but what they really were, were agents of, of, a corporate world um, acting as their corporate overlords um, where they have this great front face. Oh, hi. Yes, I'm David. I'm Ash whatever. Yeah, let's get on with this. Um, but really, they want something far more insidious, which, again, taking it back to the world that we live in now, we and we've talked about this on our shows. Uh, front-facing corporations that are like, oh, open-door policy and come talk to us and this is what we do for the community and this and that and all these great things. But in fact, what they're doing behind closed doors is pretty dark. Um, and why Ash and David are terrifying is because that programming is in there. What we're seeing isn't actually what we're seeing. They present us someone who looks like a human to make us relax. So then... And almost trust them, definitely trust them. Trust, I think, is part of it, their creation, which is also very scary. So you're going to trust this thing that looks like you because it looks like you. Um, if you go to Prometheus, there's a whole conversation between David and Holloway about that very thing um, in two separate things. Uh, in two separate uh, scenes in the film. One is when they're about to go out and I think Holloway's like, why are you putting that hat, on, that mat, that helmet on? And David's like, I beg your pardon. You don't breathe, remember? So, why wear a suit? I was designed like this because you people are more comfortable interacting with your own kind. If I didn't wear the suit, it would defeat the purpose. Making you guys pretty close, huh? Not too close, I hope. <laughs> Kind of scary how David replied to him. Very matter-of-factly, very blunt, um, had none of the eloquence that we were kind of used to. And then later on, um, right before he infects Holloway, they're having this discussion about meeting your maker and what's that 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 might be like. So these these bots, these droids, as even though like for, I love Walter because Walter feels so warm and like kind. But that's just programming in him. It's, there's, there's nothing real about him. Um, and I think that's the, 
that's the danger and the terror of these things is that they disarm us so that they can disarm us, um, at least in the world that they're setting up. But because we keep moving kind of from those futures or those worlds to our world, we're presented with the same thing in social media, something that looks great, something that, oh, this, but in the back or not so much even anymore, um, what's going on behind closed doors is we're turn, we're being turned into commerce. Our attention is being bought and sold um, so much so that it's radicalizing us. Um, and the future of that is David, is Ash. Yeah, I think a lot of what both of you have touched on, and I like how, Jamie, you coined it as, as disarming, and, and Patrick, you indicated about how um, what it would be like to have someone across the desk from you that could just rip your head off. But I think, you know, a lot of people who are in, you know, lesser positions, I, I think a lot of times even women, um, you know, how they feel across the desk from a, a, a man or how, you know, someone of a different sexual orientation may feel of having someone, uh, you know, a, a straight person in some position of power um, across the desk for them. I think a lot of what AI, like Jamie, you're indicating, and I hadn't really thought about this does is it puts us almost on an equal footing as people in that position of being disarmed of, well, it makes us think who would generally be comfortable in just about any scenario, a job interview thinking, Oh, I've got the education. I've got the, 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 um, the, the clout, um, the pedigree to get this job. So I'm, I'm comfortable talking to this person. Um, it sort of puts us all as humans on a little bit on edge in that. I don't know um, what this being is doing on the other side. And I don't know the programming and simply knowing that it was created by another person, I think is a whole nother level that throws us almost into late night, you know, after being out at the bar all night conversations, you're just like, Whoa, man, you know, what are we, what are we doing? But it may almost makes you think, you know, do you, would do, do we have enough trust in ourselves as humans to program or create something, which again, that just gets again into that weird late night, whoa, type of discussion. But it's, it's odd to think that, you know, we do that all the time. We, we may, we have kids and then you're trusting that someone has raised their kids in a way that they'll continue the social norms and, you know, won't go out stabbing people or, or whatnot. But I don't know. It's, there's something about AI that always has that more alien feeling to me of there's a reason why there is, I'm talking to a bot or a simulation here than a person. And like Jamie has discussed, especially with social media is there is some reason that this is the way it is that is not meant to improve my life, but is in fact meant to improve commerce or improve the bottom line for someone. And again, that, that continues to be the theme for me, at least again, in, in the alien universe, that there's that insidious nature um, for those of, you know, perfect organism listeners, um, the Neander Wallace character, at least to me, is not 
as black and white, or at least I, I, I view Wayland as much more villainous and sort of a, a bad guy in just the general sense of the term. He's someone who's created David and he doesn't care about David. He simply just wants to, like Jamie said, have someone to go out, find more ways to extend his life. Um, at least both in Tyrell, um, at least in, in sort of his, he has at least enough empathy for, for Batty to, um, I think truly does feel in a way um, hurt or otherwise, I, I, I don't know. It, it's the way that he explains to Batty that there's a certain chemistry or biology or I don't know, mechanical creation of why I can't give you more life. The way he delivers that is in a, in, in a very empathetic way that I, I'm, I'm sorry, but this is how you're, you are made. And I think that's how a lot of people would hope um, if you believe in any sort of faith-based God, that, 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 that God would simply say, I'm, I'm sorry, that's the way I created you. I, I can't do anything about it. You're going to die. I, I, I truly, and not in a, a corporate front sort of way, oh, I feel so terrible about this. Um, by the way, when you die, then I have your spots in your apartment already rented. Um, but more in just a, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to answer this question is how I see Tyrell giving that answer. And for Neander, I, I see that as someone who has, for those um, not familiar with the Blade Runner universe, Neander eventually came somewhat, I, I don't know, to power, at least in, in corporate funding, at least came to his position by uh, solving the world's hunger problem. So at some point, I really see him as someone who I believe was, was trying to solve a problem for the good of humanity. And here's a way that I'm going to find a way to make us survive as a race that, of course, then uh, allowed him great power, either through governments or through money or however he then becomes in a position where he can then approach the world government at that time and say, hey, I'm going to introduce this new race. I think you should uh, allow me to do it. But I, I think that those areas are a lot more gray in the Blade Runner universe as far as the creation and the, the reasoning and the, the ruin and the, the intention behind the creation of replicants um, is our world is dying. We as a people need to find a way off. And I think then that becomes, well, our solution to it was flawed um, and simply by not having the answers now for the replicants that causes the, the the drama in the first and both the second ones where again in the alien universe I, it's almost as if um wayland has the answers but chose to do those things and, not, and again it's not for the good of the human race it's for the good of the company i think jamie always puts a good finger on that 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 you know perhaps the best drama someday is a alien drama with no aliens. It's almost alien West wing um, where it's just in inside the corporation. And there's so much drama in the alien universe that I can't, I can't separate then the synthetics, the androids from that, except again, you know, I'm, I return again to Winona Ryder as, as call. And just, you know, again, we keep going to resurrection. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot there despite it being just terrible, and comedic when it should not be comedic. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that, that illiterate, uh, I keep messing up that word, but that version 
of the replicant. And I think that's a really interesting way um, to present it. And, and it differs again, but I think that's the main thing. Um, what my point during this rant is, is that um, there's, there's something about being disarmed, like Jamie said, and I think AI, again, I don't know that at least I'm in a place where I could trust, you know, anyone, even my neighbor from creating an AI that isn't somehow derived from what they personally want and not for some greater social good. I don't know that, again, Patrick, you indicated that really the only way to create AI is to have those types of resources that come from a corporation and as we're just continually bombarded with, I don't think that that's a way to be trusted even today. And that's what gives the the Alien series, I think, even the greater drama within the the androids and the synthetics. Yeah, that funding is coming only from either huge corporations or from nation states. And like, are there two things that are harder to trust than fucking corporations and governments? I mean, it, that's that's the the reality of technology at scale. I think. And this this craziest thing to me, and this is going back to something that you were saying a little bit earlier, and also something Jamie was saying, is that we are already complicit in our downfall thanks to the technology that we utilize all the time. I don't just mean social media, but I do definitely mean social media. But in in addition to that, like I have zero trust in Elon Musk being a good person. Like I I think that like he has revealed himself to be pretty erratic and pretty shitty and like kind of scary and he has an insane amount of like a, a, an incalculable amount of money and that money is largely funding not only you know private space flight but but self-driving autonomous cars that go through holes in the ground and so like the the type of trust to have in somebody to be able to get in an autonomous car and drive in a sealed tunnel right is humongous and yet the waiting list for these things is th- i'm i'm on one of them i'm, I'm going to cancel it because i'm pretty fed up with them but like i'm on a waiting list for a cyber truck and i have been for years and uh you know and i've been on that because i think it's just a really cool piece of technology but now i'm thinking like i don't think i would want one if if i were able to get it because it would be further contributing to this thing that i can clearly tell isn't trustworthy. And, you know, we can say, and and in the past, I've kind of justified it for myself by being like, well, we have regulations and, you know, we have watchers watching the watchmen and we have, you know, legal cases to adjudicate. And we have a lot of things to go through that will try to keep technology in check. But then you hear from people who are actually in positions of power within artificial intelligence, and they are more afraid than we are. Just like the people who are who know the most about pandemics and epidemics are more afraid than we are about the future of those of communicable disease, the people who know the most about technology are the most afraid of what's happening with it because they realize that the, the, the horse and the cart aren't even in the same fucking coast anymore. They are vastly separated from each other. And, and so and I, I, I feel like I always villainize social media, but I also don't apologize for it. <laughs> I feel like... As somebody who has really not, it's been two years since I've really used social media more than once every month. And watching it from the outside is like so illuminating because like everybody who's always on, on Facebook and Instagram know that they're being data mined the whole time. Like we know what kind of information is being pulled from us and we see it because when we navigate the internet, we get tailored ads based on posts that we made six months ago 
that we didn't think anything of because we thought we were just talking to our aunt. And all of a sudden now, like this company that we've never heard of before wants us to buy this sensor for our heat system because, and, and it just, it feeds itself. And we know we're being radicalized and we see it and we see it boil over sometimes like the insurrection on January 6th. And we see it sometimes in really insidious small ways. Like for example, I went on Facebook a couple of days ago because I wanted to do a periodic check-in and I saw that I had been defriended by somebody who like, I didn't think I had any beef with, like I knew we were politically different, but like I never fought with them about anything. Um, but like that's somebody who I'm sure because of the insanity around 2016 and all of us being all up in arms on social media all the time, I'm sure that that's somebody that I alienated who like I'm probably never going to get another chance to be friends with again, for better or for worse. And like those things happen all the time to us because we have become so entrenched in these camps that are so opposed to each other. And this is not new to anybody. And this is the alien slash Blade Runner podcast, so we don't have to get into that. But what I'm saying and also, please do like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us. Um, but what I'm saying is that, like, and you know, there are ways to use social media, like we, Jamie, we've talked about this quite a bit, that aren't as insidious and that do get at the community building, and that's really, really great. But that is, I think, the exception to the rule because I think the most people who are still on Facebook all the time are there to get their bubble reinforced with news that agrees with them, so that they can have you know better arguments with people. At least that's the way I see it. And the reason I'm saying all this is to say that like this whole fantastical idea of, you know, rebellious androids or replicants, it's like not, it's not fantasy. Like the technology that will be out of hand has been out of hand for most of our lives. Like I was born into this, you know, I was born in 1985. Like I basically was born when the internet became a thing. And, you know, that that's been my life ever since then. Um, so like, we we and the technology that we create will always be reflecting each other in really interesting ways. And what I hope we do, it, so actually, I don't want to make a categorical statement about that because I want to talk about one other thing first before I try to make a judgment on it. What I want to talk about is Bishop for a second, right? So Bishop comes up all the time in conversations whether it be Philip Kennedy Johnson, the incredible writer of Alien uh, for Marvel, or whether it be with listeners who write in, we get lots of you know comments on Facebook about him. Bishop is just like a universally beloved character, right? Um, anybody who's watched Aliens, which I'm assuming is most people in the world at this point, feels a tremendous surge of love and admiration and gratitude when he shows up with the dropship on the landing platform. You know, like that, that is a moment that will always tug at my heartstrings, right? And like Jamie was saying, it does that regardless of the fact that I know intellectually that that was part of his programming. Because the way that I deal with that personally, and, you know, not to get into the joy episode yet, because it's common people, we're going to circle back to joy on our next one. I personally derive meaning because I think of him as going against his programming, or I think of him being somewhat. Uh, you know, an aberration to it, which is probably not even true. Like, I think that he is, you know, by the Asimovian laws that he lays out in the beginning of the film, that he can't allow somebody to be hurt or by course of action, you know, uh, that, that, he, that he will basically preserve human life and safety. So what he does is in keeping with that programming completely. And yet it feels human to me when I'm watching the movie. It feels, it feels wonderful when he goes into those, into those pipes to get to the remote relay station, like that feels 
the tension is so intense there. And like Jamie was saying earlier with the morality behind it, it doesn't need to, because again, like he's doing the thing that he was built to do. He obviously Bishop would go because he's not even a fucking person, right? Obviously. And not only that, not only is it, would it not be losing human life if he were to die, but he's also more capable. Like who else is going to pilot the dropship from that station? Like he, he knows that. Right. And yet, nobody looks to him that's what's so funny is they're arguing about it and he's like I'll, I'll i'll do it i'll do it you know i'll be bad at this and and all of a sudden it becomes like bishop the hero and we internalize it as a heroic thing to do so like what is that going to look like for us when our self-driving cars for example um you know get a bad firmware update and something goes wrong with them like, are we going to treat our cars as heroic if they go against their programming and do something? You know, yeah, I got, I'm, I gotta just jump in or I'm, I'm gonna lose it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think while you're talking, the thing that popped in my head, which is so interesting, is you have the initial technology, uh, assuming David, you know, I'm talking alien timeline here. Sorry. You have the initial technology, new and shiny, come out as, as David, and you have a crew that's completely willing to say let's have this technology with us let's have david out there while we're sleeping david can you know stick a needle in our eye he can watch our dreams he plays basketball but we are going to trust while we're asleep for decades we're going to trust our lives to this new technology because it's new bright and shiny covenant um despite david's mishaps or however Waylon describes it they are still willing at that point to allow walter to accompany them and again they're like hey let's sleep walter will help us out yeah one of us burned up on his watch but whatever um that's just got to be some some freak accident and then the stark contrast is years and years and years in the future you have a crew um with ripley and alien who has no idea that that same technology that before everyone was happy to have on board, the second they find out that someone um, that that technology is on board, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's how could this have happened? How could we have let this happen? Oh my God. And then again, um, you have then Bishop come on and her having that experience previously um, in the upcoming years, then Wayland finds a way to smooth that over and somehow get a crew again that's comfortable. Everyone else in Aliens is like, yeah, of course we have a synthetic on board. It's standard operating procedure, according to you know Paul Reiser, our buddy, our pal. Um, of course, we got it. They're the best. And what's really interesting to me is what you can see why an alien based on Prometheus why the crew would be adverse to having AI or a synthetic on their ship. And now that makes sense um, because just as the audience first time watching it, it's just as shocking. Oh my God, this guy's a robot. He's a but, goddamn robot. Right. What, what's crazy to me and what was really interesting. And I like to think about is what happened in those intervening years. And well, Ripley, um, was lost out at in space that all of a sudden Whalen got it back on board where crews are like, oh yeah, of course they're back again, just like David. And yeah, it was only, know, only 57 years. And so you talking about social media, Jamie talking about other scary things with, with today's AI, what 
to, you know, what's scary to think about is what's going to be our David point where like, oh my God, we let it get too far. Is it, is it Skynet and, 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 you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger showing up or some other likely more hidden and even more nefarious event that all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, what did we do? And then do we get back to a Luddite period where everyone's off social media, everyone's dumped our phones, we're back to analog um, communications, but then someone's going to come along again and we'll get complicit again. And then all of a sudden you got Bishop back on board. And some of us that remember are like, oh my God, remember? And it's just history repeating itself. But anyways, that that's all that popped into my head. I, I didn't mean to ruin your train of thought, but to me, it was just insane all of a sudden that like, oh yeah, it's so crazy that Ripley and the rest of the crew are so taken aback by having a, a synthetic on board when just years before it was totally normal and they were excited about having David. And then just years after the rest of the crew is so excited. It's interesting, the cyclical nature that's already just in the alien universe it's, itself. Yeah. And, and that, and that, you know, so that was almost six decades that we, we have between that first incident, you know, and then, and then with Bishop, but in Blade Runner, it's even a quicker timeline than that because, you know, we have the blackout in 2022 and then I think 2037 is when that's Nexus Dawn, right? So that's that's when the next Nexus model after the Rachel Nexus 7 model is introduced. And that is, you know, a, a 15 years. And already within 15 years, people are ready to allow this to happen again. And that seems much more in line with today. I mean, people are so quick to forget anything and just be like, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think 15 years ago, 15 years ago from now was 2000. Seven, right? Yeah, 2007. It was 15 years ago. Like th- that feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> Doesn't that feel like ancient? I mean, and and since I mean, 2007 was also the year the iPhone came out, I believe. And look at what we have now. Like, do you remember when the iPhone came out? There were there was no app store. There were apps on the iPhone, and then there were first party developed apps that came out after it. And then people like cracked it, and you know, Apple was like saw a money making opportunity, and they went with it again. And now, like, I mean, I, I can't even imagine navigating my life at all without my phone, phone being handy. Um, and that is something. And, and, and I say that even as somebody who's pontificating on my high horse about social media and all the evils of it, like I'm still very much, I mean, I post on our social media accounts every single day. You know, I, I check my phone all the time. People send me news articles. I'm very much up to date on what's going on. And the thought of like not being in the loop on that is terrifying for me. And that, like, that collective drive to be in on something, I think, for most people, will always trump our individual desire to be insular and to be, like, protected. And that's why, like, we will go through those circles that you're talking about where something will go wrong and we will all agree that it was a mistake. Because, like, look, and then I'll hand it over to Jamie to bring us home, but, like, look at, for example, uh, what was it, Crimson... Uh, what was that? Oh, that firm. Oh my God. Cambridge Analytica, right? Look at Cambridge Analytica. That, that shit was like four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, maybe like that. And that, that was something where everybody was like, this is horrible. How can we let this ever happen again? And it was like adjudicated in an international court of law and was this like gigantic news story. And then like a week later, we just forgot. Like we forgot that all of our information was being used against us. We, f- we forgot that we don't actually own the rights to anything. And like we still to even today have international cases that go to, to court 
that tried where people try to regain access and control over their personal data as a way of setting a precedent to for other people to be able to get it back again and it never works like it like we have lost our privacy that's gone right and yet we still we will download the latest Facebook update in a heartbeat and we will talk about how cool the creator studio is. And we'll be like, oh, wow, I bet my algorithm's going to like get picked up now that I have the hashtag that I was looking for. And like, I'm going to get right in there at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. So it's like ready for the you know West Coast and the East Coast. And we still do this shit all the time because it's just how our society functions now. And that is an Ouroboros where we will never get that tail out of our mouths um, until it chokes us. The word that comes to mind for me as we wrap up the discussion is trust. Number one, do we trust David? Do we trust Ash? Do we trust Bishop? Um, I wanted to mention, even though Bishop prompts us to feel warm and fuzzy, and oh, Bishop's, he's got a behavioral inhibitor. Bishop's probably most certainly being tracked by the company. Everything he experiences is probably going into some databank. Bishop is not innocuous. Bishop is not a representation of the good of the company that built him. Bishop presents himself in a way that makes that disarms us so we feel more relaxed, so we can say more, so we can do more, so the company can learn more. I think when a droid is being more nefarious up front, it's easier because we know to keep ourselves on our guard. You know, and I think to relate that back to today's society where our phones aren't just our way of life they're listening to us they're listening to us so when we go they i just said this thing oh look it popped up or i was just at the grocery store and i bought something through my apple pay and do you know that facebook and those programs those apps talk to each other so that facebook knows what i just purchased so that when i go onto Facebook or another social media platform, it pops up. Say you bought like some fruit, it'll talk like Dole or Chiquita or it'll like, oh, maybe you should think about buying this or maybe you should try buying this. That is not trustworthy technology, not for me. In some ways I can understand why it's built, why it's made the way it is to make your life easier, but it's not. It's, it's getting into our privacy, but at the same time, it's privacy we've given away by using the application for free. So it's an interesting thing. And I, uh, so I, as we continue to talk about this, and I have so much to say that we will continue in the next episode, and which probably we'll have another one after that, um, because there's just so much more in, in this discussion. I, I think what's really important is knowing that even the faces that bring us comfort like walter like bishop um those faces do not represent anything that is out for our own interests it only represents the interest of the company um, that has made them and i'll just leave i'll leave us with this that line of discussion also relates to joy also relates to my distrust of her since day one that everything she is telling us is programmed she is not real. She was actually helping the Walls Corporation track K until she said, break off the antenna. And then 
the walls, you know, love was alerted like, oh, shit, now I got to go look for him because now I don't know where he is. Joy was not innocuous as well. Joy was not. She might have seemed, oh, I love you, blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. She was an arm of this very insidious corporation. And I think as again, as we continue, I think actually replicants themselves are the the better angels of that technology, honestly. Um, again, we don't really know what they are, but there's something going on with them that is not going on with Bishop or Ash or any of the others. So I'm excited to have those conversations. Who who told Kay to uh, break the antenna? She did, but that doesn't mean anything. She's Bishop on the landing platform. Well, we can get into those discussions <laughs> later. <laughs> we'll talk about it later on the next episode. Because even when, I think even when technology seems like it's ultra personal, it really isn't. It really isn't like she told him to break the antenna. What did that do? It made his life worse or better. I mean, there's a whole, yeah, no, we got to be, to be continued. Well, yeah, topic we ever have. <laughs> That's going to be a 35 hour episode. Um, as we close though, thank you everybody for joining. If, if you are a perfect organism listener and you're hearing this and you want more conversation like this, definitely follow us on shoulder of Orion, the blade burner podcast. You can find it all the same places you find perfect organism. Uh, we've been doing this for like four years on that show now. Uh, yeah. Almost five years. Actually, five it's years probably five August. years. Yes. Yeah, five years. Basically. When it, this comes out. That's, that's wild. I doesn't even make it. That sense. is, that is terrifying. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, but there's a ton of stuff to listen to. We have, you know, lots of interviews with people affiliated with the movies, with the expanded universe, the comic books, uh, and there's great content still coming out on that show. So make sure you check us out there. And if you're listening to this on shoulder of Orion and you're thinking, oh, I'm really an alien fan. And I wish they had more content to listen to on that. Well, good news. Perfect organism just celebrated its 345th anniversary. There are thousands of millions of episodes that's slightly hyperbolic, but you get the point. Um, it's been around for a long time. There's a lot to listen to. So please, and don't forget also while you're doing that to uh, help us out on Patreon. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, Jamie, you want to tell them quickly about a little Patreon funded thing that our shoulder of Orion friends might not know about that just recently happened. Actually, there's oh. two of them. Well, so the first one is uh, perfect organism was asked by prop store to facilitate a panel discussion for an event on July or July on June 11th, I believe, last Saturday. Is this what you're talking about, Patrick? Mm-hmm. And uh, in this panel, we were invited to the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles on the penthouse on the roof with two of the members from Aliens, Mark Rolston, who played Drake, and Rico Ross, who played Frost. And we had a about an hour-long conversation, and it was amazing. Again, to Patrick's point, funded in part by Patreon. Um, all the money we spent... Uh, to get to and from, aside from prop store purchasing the ticket for our co-host Christian to be there, every other dime spent was paid for by Patreon. So that's the first thing. What about the second thing, Patrick? The second thing is uh, Shoulder of Orion family. We have an incredible new T-shirt that we're going to be releasing shortly and celebrating uh, Blade Runner's 40th anniversary. It was re- it was designed and uh, artistically executed by Jason Judah, who is a listener and a friend of ours, whose name you've heard multiple times because when he joined our Patreon, I was confused about if it was Huda 
or Judah. It turns out it's Judah. And it turns out that Jason Judah is an incredibly gifted artist and did this amazing design that you'll be seeing very shortly. And we'll have lots of info for you on how to buy it, how to help us celebrate 40 years of Blade Runner, how to help fund the show. But Jason was commissioned with Patreon money. Uh, I should also point out that he is also a patron. So that was you know, another really great thing that he did for us out there, but we're really excited about that. And there's lots to look forward to in celebrating 40 years of Blade Runner. So if you want to help out, please help us on Patreon. We would love it. And I want to do one quick shout out also to a listener named Christian Cruz Guerrera, who uh, is a, he has written in and uh, four months went by since I missed his first email and I wrote him back and he was just incredibly nice about it. And now we've had a couple back and forths and he had some really cool thoughts on Black Lotus and uh, so thank you for your patience with that, Chris. And thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for your support. Uh, I'll try to be better about our email in the future. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back again with another riveting conversation. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.